a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is
Oh, my God. 
morning, and before you're seated, we're going to pray. But before that, take a moment and just express your gratitude to the Lord for something. Come on, do that right now. We express our gratitude for you, to you for your awesome goodness, your great kindness, your unending mercy and patience, your inexpressible love and care and concern. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for finding us. Thanks for redeeming us. Yeah, thanks for setting us free. Thanks for healing us. Thanks for providing. Thank you for your amazing goodness. You are the good God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Remain standing. We need to pray for our friends at Engaging Heaven Church in New London. We need to pray for them. James Levesque, the senior pastor of all four campuses and the founder of that church, called me Thursday right after this happened. I don't know how many of you know that James Levesque was 16 years old when he was saved in this church. Saved in this church. And so he and I have always had kind of a special bond that way a little bit. But you might imagine just the horrific nature of this. And we just, I just want us to pray. I just want us to pray for them because this could become a very complicated and very difficult situation. Because just the immensity of this. Thank God nobody was in that building at 1.30 on Thursday. They had just left or something. But let's pray together that God would help them. They're gonna, this building is going to be demolished and they're going to have to find a new place. And It's just unbelievable what's happened there. Father, you are not surprised. You were not caught off guard. And God, thank you. No one in the building. Thank you for the way that steeple fell. It was like the angels just pushed it straight down. It could have taken out a building on either side and across the street, but it didn't. Your great mercy. Your great mercy. Well, Lord, that church is left with some big challenges in the days ahead. Lord, we, I just pray that this morning as they meet at the guard, that God, that that be phenomenal in every way. But Lord, it's going to be a long road in dealing with all those things. I pray that God, that the enemy of our soul finds no way to gain a foothold in there and bring any kind of harm. But Lord, you're going to use this for their good and for your glory because that's just what you do. That's just what you do. And so, Lord, we thank you. We trust you. God, we commit this to you. And may you be glorified in an amazing fashion. Help us to continue to pray. And God, just know how and what this church should do in response. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen, friends. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you're seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Continue to pray for that church. And, uh, you know, just uh, the campus pastors are Bob and Sarah Nichols. They're the ones that are on the ground there. Leading, pray for Bob and Sarah, too. These are all friends of mine. 
And uh, so it's just an unbelievable experience that they've been through uh, since Thursday. Anyway, but um, last we couldn't do this last Sunday, so I decided to move it to this week. Last week was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And, uh, but I wanted to take seven minutes and show you this video about the sanctity of human life. And then Chris is going to come and we're going to, we're just going to continue to pray this great nation. Uh, even though Roe versus Wade has been changed and all the rest, there are still millions of babies losing their lives every year. And uh, so let's, let's just watch this. This is not gruesome. It's not overly dramatic. It, it'll be just helpful. Let's watch. I'm Dr. Bill Lyle and I practice obstetrics and gynecology and over the years I have delivered over 4,000 babies. Welcome today because today is special because this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Since 1973 we have lost over 63 million babies lives because of abortion and abortion at its very core is an attack against the image of God. Genesis 1:26 says, after God created all the heavens and the earth, all the mammals, all the birds, and everything on this planet, God paused and he said, let us make man in our image. And that is all of us. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, and we were all created in the image of God. And we weren't created in the image of God on the day we were born. We were created in the image of God at that moment of conception. When we look at 63 million lives, that is doing evil in the sight of the Lord, destroying the image of God. And this is what the attack is. It's an attack against the image of God out of a hatred for God himself. We look at Psalm 139 where we are miraculously knit together in our mother's womb. The psalmist didn't understand about cell differentiation and fetal development. He just knew that it was knit together in the mother's womb. From the moment of conception, when one cell from the mom and one cell from the dad get together, at that moment, that is a unique new person. Unique from the mom, unique from the dad, unique from the other 8 billion people on the planet. And then we go from one cell to two cells to 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, developing into different systems, cardiovascular system, neurological system, skeletal systems. 18 days after conception, we can actually see the heart beating. And the heart is pumping blood from the baby to the placenta where the mom is and then back. And the babies not only have different genetics, but often the babies can even have a different blood type. It's really a matter of not just a choice. It is a matter of patient's rights and being created in the image of God. You say, well, why patient's rights? Because we treat the babies in the womb as patients. Because moms and babies can often have different blood types, sometimes moms will have antibodies which can cross the placenta and attack the baby's blood, and the baby's blood count starts to drop. If we don't do something, the baby's blood count will drop so low that the baby will go into the heart failure and the baby will die. So what do we do? We actually can now do blood transfusions directly into the circulation of the baby, and we have done that as early as 18 weeks gestation. If we can give a baby a blood transfusion, 
then they are a patient and a patient has rights. But we're not just doing blood transfusions. We're doing surgery on babies in the womb. We are doing correction of spina bifida in the womb and we are saving babies' lives. And recently at the Cleveland Clinic, they actually performed an open heart surgery on the baby in the womb. The baby was diagnosed with a tumor called a teratoma, a tumor that was about half the size of the baby's heart and it was interrupting the blood flow from the baby. So what did they decide? They said, well, we can deliver the baby and then do surgery, but now we have a preemie which has just had surgery, or we can do surgery on the baby in the womb. They made the decision to operate on the baby in the womb. The mom got an epidural, so mom was in control of her pain. And then they made an incision in the mom's belly, they made an incision in the womb, and then they had access to the baby. So they brought out the baby's right arm, and they brought out the baby's left arm to get access to the baby's chest. And don't forget, this baby is only 27 weeks gestation. But before they did the surgery on the baby's heart, they actually started an IV in the baby's hand. So a pediatric anesthesiologist was caring for the baby and had the baby comfortable, and then the pediatric cardiologist then did the surgery. They made an incision in the baby's chest, they got access to the heart, and then they actually removed this tumor from the heart, and almost immediately, the baby's heart was pumping normally. And once that baby's heart was pumping normally, they closed the baby's chest, and then they put the arms back on the inside, they removed the IV, they closed the womb, they closed the mom's skin, and then they delivered that baby 10 weeks later at 37 weeks gestation. If we can do open heart surgery on a baby in the womb, then they are a patient, and a patient is a person, no matter how small. The battle of abortion is not just something for outside of the church. Surveys will show that within the church, between 18 and 24% of the people within the church have personally been involved in an abortion. And there is pain. And what is the solution? Well, we need healing. And healing comes from forgiveness. And true forgiveness only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual battle. We've all made decisions that we regret. We all have done things that we regret. So when we have so many people that have been personally involved with abortion, we must have them realize that that can be forgiven. That is what the healing is through the gospel. It is the gospel that changes hearts, minds, and behavior, and it's the gospel that is gonna produce that healing. This is where the church needs to be engaged. This is a spiritual battle. We might not have been engaged enough in 1973, but we have been given an amazing opportunity now since the reversal of Roe versus Wade. And I really think that God is looking and saying, you have this amazing opportunity. We have reversed Roe versus Wade. What is the church going to do to defend my preborn, to discuss the gift of salvation and forgiveness and to provide healing for not only the church, but those outside of the church? Because if the truth is not gonna be heard from our pulpits, where do we expect to hear the truth? So the church needs to engage and the church doesn't just need to know the truth, the church needs to speak the truth. They need to stand up for the preborn. They need to say this is wrong, but they also need to discuss about forgiveness and healing. 
we are going to be developing a new curriculum in the next month that will be a six-week program for the church specifically to engage in the knowledge not just of the science not just of the medicine and the way we treat the pre-born but in the spiritual aspects of how we can and we must win this battle because we need to combat against something that is truly doing evil in the sight of the Lord so thank the leader of your church for getting a video like this for sanctity of human life Sunday see how you can get engaged in your local pregnancy resource center and if you have any questions you can contact me dr bill lyle through our website which is prolifedoc.org god bless you and thank you for setting aside sanctity of human life sunday you know 19 years ago i had this experience i had this experience because the doctors came into a hospital room after we had a ultrasound, and they told us that my daughter wasn't going to live, that we would need to do a DNR. And as a, you know, then 20-something-year-old kid, I didn't know what to do. I was filled with all these emotions. I didn't know what to do. And so I called my mom, she, and she, she came down. And so... What I think we need to do is we, we need to stand and we need to press into the fact that we all have a unique ability to speak to other people, right? No, no nurse came and talked to us about us. They just kind of gave us this, this matter-of-fact decision point right then. And man, if somebody would have been right there to say something to us, to speak life into us, to give us another option like people from CareNet or a chaplain or a nurse or a doctor or somebody who believed in the sanctity of life, somebody who believed that they were all image bearers of God, they could have spoke life into us. Thankfully, we made the right choice. We, we pressed forward with, hey, if this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. But so many people don't because they come in and they get information just told to them and then they don't know what to do because they're young and they're, they're scared and they think that's the right decision because this person with the medical license or, or some other person out that they trust or have a trusted credential are telling them things. But I think right now we have to pray in and press in for the families and we have to pray in and press in for every single one of us because we are all around this. We all, I'm sure, know somebody or something that's happened, that we could have been right there to press in. So, Lord, right now I'm praying that you divinely send us. You've uniquely designed us to speak to people, Lord. Lord, put us in that exact spot. Give us the opportunity to speak life into people when they need life spoken into them. Let us reflect your light and your love to those so they don't feel alone and ashamed, Lord. Lord, give us that opportunity. Lord, may we be sensitive to those moments, Lord. May we just press in and know the right things to say at that moment, Lord. Lord, and on the other side, if, if, if somebody wasn't there to give them that life speech then, if they weren't there to speak life into that, Lord, I'm praying right now for forgiveness and healing for those that maybe made the wrong choice, Lord, that made a choice, Lord, that now they have to live with the decisions that they made and maybe they feel that they can't be forgiven or that they're too far gone or that they can't be healed. Lord, speak to them right now, Lord. Lord, give us all the words to speak to those people to show them that you are real, Lord, that you can speak to them, Lord, 
that they're not too far gone, Lord, that you, that you will heal and forgive them. Lord, I pray right now, can we lift our hands out? Can we lift our hands out to all the people that this has touched? There's so many people that it's touched in so many different ways, Lord. Lord, I'm praying right now for the families and for everybody who's been touched by this, Lord, that they can feel your healing touch, Lord, that your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy is upon them and that you're there, Lord, and that you're covering them with your glory and your love and your peace and your grace, Lord. Lord, I know that you've des- You've designed us, Lord, and we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We keep trusting you, Lord, that you will enable us to speak to people, no matter what side they're on, Lord, that we will speak life into their lives, Lord, and that they will see you and it will glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. That was a tough one. But hey, if this is your if this is your first time here, we just want to welcome you to church this morning. I'm Pastor Chris, and uh, <laughs> and we like to clap around here. If you haven't figured that out, but if this is your first time here, we just want to honor you, and we do that by clapping for you. So how about a round of applause for everybody that's here for the first time? But of course, we don't want to just clap for you, right? We want, we're a family and we want to truly connect with you. The easiest way for us to connect with you is for you to just text the word welcome to the number that comes up on the screen. A little link will come back to you. It just takes a couple seconds to fill it out. Once you fill it out, just like that, shabam, we are connected. And we're also available on Facebook, on Instagram. We even have a TikTok page. If you want to email the office staff, it's office at seaportcommunitychurch.org. And then we have some awesome opportunities, all kinds of things happen around here. So if you don't have the Church Center app, it's really easy to get. All you have to do is click on the QR code that's on the seat back in front of you. It'll take you to a landing page, and then you can download our app, in which case you will see all these awesome opportunities. So if you haven't figured this out, we are a praying church. We love to pray. It's awesome to press into God. So make sure you guys are taking an opportunity to press in in one of these awesome prayer meetings that we have. Some of them are online. Some of them are um, on Zoom. Some of them are here in the building. Some of them are in the morning. Some are in the evening. There is an opportunity for everybody to get involved in prayer. So please press into that. Um, Our Wednesday growth track is continuing this week. We're in our fourth week. We have all kinds of things going on, whether you're in Belong or Bible Essentials or you're in Teen Seaport or Leadership with Pastor Brad. Make sure you guys, if you haven't been for it, it's not too late to come in. Join us on Wednesdays and be part of one of those awesome things that's happening. And then guess what's happening next Sunday? What is next Sunday? Chili! It's the Chili Cook-Off and our annual Royal Ranger fundraiser. So make sure you guys are coming and staying after service. Plan that in your day so that you can come have the chili tasting contest and just have all these all-you-can-eat chilies. It's going to be amazing. And we'll see who turns out to be the victor. And then we have this awesome trip down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This sight and sound trip to go see Daniel. We've been talking about it. There's still plenty of spots available. But some people are wondering, hey, how are we going to get there? We're going to get there on this awesome bus, but it's not just like a school bus, right? It's like a luxury limousine bus. If you can see, there's the inside and the outside. It's amazing. So make sure you guys are signing up for this awesome trip, because if you have never been to Sight and Sound Theater, but you've been to Broadway, I don't know, I think Sight and Sound Theater is so much better. I went to see Moses a few months ago, and it was better than anything I've ever seen. So make sure you guys are pressing into that. And then if you haven't pre-ordered any of our merchandise, we have all kinds of merchandise that's available, so make sure you guys see the app and see what's out there and what's available and pre-order your 2024 designs. All right, and next up, Pastor Brad. Thank you. Morning again, everybody. 
So I just want to, um, let me just kind of talk about uh, kind of maybe a little heavier topic for just, for, just for a moment. You know what, you guys are super generous and faithful, and I appreciate that so much. But we got off to kind of a rough start financially this year, and I'm just trusting God that we'll not only catch up, but we'll get ahead. Amen? I mean, you can see the budget. Guys, you can bring that slide up. And uh, you can see it's kind, of a, it's kind of a rough start to the year financially. But guess what? I'm praying that God blesses all of you that are faithful to tithe, and so you'll be blessed and keep going. Those of you that are learning to tithe, you'll just continue to learn that, experience the blessing. If you... Um, if you if you haven't, I, we still are still taking free orders. I want to bless you with this book called The Treasure Principle, and you can sign up for that in the app. It's no charge. If you've already signed up for it, we should have a copy for you out there at the Information Center, and uh, you can just jump in and, and get one of those. It's a short little book, but it will bless you uh, a lot, uh, help you to understand the the benefits and the blessings of giving. Amen? Amen? I mean, I've never seen a growing Christian that wasn't a generous one. Just never met him. And we'll hear more about that in a little bit. But thank you for being so faithful. There's ways to give, and you'll see, you can see that. There's ways, ways to give here. If you're, you know, if today's your first Sunday, please don't give. Consider the service a gift to you, Okay. And, but, and the rest of us that call this home, we're just glad to bless you with it, okay? So, uh, but, you know, the rest of us, we're, we're here and we're committed to this thing to make this thing go forward. There's no foundation. There's no rich person standing behind Seaport. It's us. Amen? It's us. So, thank you for that. Let's, um, let's just pause and pray for a moment. Lord, I'm, I continue to pray as you told me to pray for the blessing and the prosperity of your people. And I pray especially, Lord, as I have continually have done this and will continually do this as you tell me to. God, that you would, God, I'm, your word says that as we tithe, that you will pour out the windows of he- heaven a blessing that we cannot contain. That sounds pretty big to me. And so, Lord, I pray that's what you said. I didn't say that. You said it. So I'm trusting you that you're going to pour out blessing into the lives of your people that have trusted you with their finances. And God, that you're going to give them more. God, to continue to bless them and your work. God, use everything here to advance your purposes, we pray. Thanks, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Uh, all of our youth le- leadership team is out of, out of town today at a conference, youth leadership conference, so the kids will stay in here today. Uh, they are, they'll be back a little later today, but I'm glad that they're going and learning and growing in that experience. Amen? want them to be. And um, next Sunday, we have, uh, I think, a very exciting announcement to share with you. And I think that uh, you'll be pleased with what, uh, with the direction that we're taking. And um, so that'll be shared with you next week. Uh, there's, some, there's, there's so much that's happening around here. How many of you like the new banner over here? Yeah. Isn't that great? It's a, it's a great new banner. Yeah. Special thanks to, to Lindsay for designing that and helping to hang it. And uh, you see, you'll see more banners and new signs around here. That's all made possible because of you guys. It doesn't just appear, you know. I mean, that banner right there, I mean, just to show you, that banner is almost $500. 
and uh, that, because it's big. It's 9 by 12. It's big. So, uh, but you guys, your giving makes all that kind of stuff possible. So thank you for that. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. Let's jump in here to Acts 3. So how did you respond when you saw that person sitting on the side of the road with a cardboard sign telling you their story? How did you respond to that? I mean, did you stop? Did you say something to them? Do you say, did you say, well, I wish I had some cash, but I don't have any cash? Or did you not look at them? Did you yell out the window, get a job? Uh, you know, what did you do? What did you do? There seems to be, oh, did you stop and get them something to eat? What, what did you do? Just drive by? What did you do? And sometimes it's difficult to know what to do. Can you imagine? This is exactly what happens to Peter and John. On their way to the three o'clock prayer meeting, they run right into a guy that's looking for a handout right there at the temple. But before we get into the story, let's kind of roll it back, roll the tape back and take a look at the kind of the, the backstory here as we're jumping into the book of Acts this year. And we're going to spend about 40 Sundays in the book of Acts. And just walking through this incredible 30-year history of the early church, as is written down by the physician and historian, Dr. Luke. I mean, as we roll into chapter 1, we discover, we see Jesus telling his guys, his apostles, to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He never tells them what that is, but just to go there and wait. Then he ascends from the Mount of Olives. There and then, of course, the guys not knowing what really what to do, take it upon themselves to replace Judas, who had killed himself, with Matthias. And then, and then, so chapter one ends, and as chapter two opens, Luke says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, it was one of the, remember, one of the three great feasts that. Uh, Jewish men were not were pretty well required or strongly encouraged to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate. It was a harvest festival in many in many ways, and so it's opening. It opens with that, but it's just been ten days. It's been ten days since Jesus ascended. It's been fifty days since he was crucified, and so now on the day of Pentecost. The signifies the, the Holy Spirit now comes in upon those 120 that are gathered in that upper room in an unbelievable display of power, wind and fire, people uh, speaking in languages that they've never learned, and it creates an incredible, incredible commotion there. So much so that it draws a massive crowd. Massive crowd there below the upper room. And so Peter, the same dude, the same dude that only seven weeks previously, seven weeks previously, had denied even knowing Jesus, stands up along with the other apostles and preaches to this huge crowd. And not only, he, he's not denying Jesus anymore. As a matter of fact, he is confessing Jesus and, and calling all of those that are there to repent for crucifying Jesus. I mean, the guy goes from one end of the spectrum to the other by the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls people to, be, uh, to, to repent, to be baptized in water. And an amazing thing happens. It says in one day, 3,000 people 
repent, and are baptized. 3,000. The logistics side of me was like, how in the world did they do that? Uh, it'll have to be a question that waits for heaven, I guess. I don't have an answer to that. But even though it was so huge, it was still a tiny minority of the people that were there in Jerusalem. And this group of people would then begin to gather and meet frequently inside the temple near Solomon's colonnade. That's what it was called. Ran down one side of the temple. They would meet there. And this group of people was more than just a group of people hanging out. It was more than just a community of people. They began to be the church. Not a building. The church, remember, we're still doing a little review from last week. The word church means called out ones. People who have come out of the culture by the power of Jesus and had their lives transformed, who now live in a different kingdom. You know that, right? If you're a Christian, you live in a different kingdom. You still live in the world, but you live in a new kingdom with a new leader. And so... I guess the question that I need to ask again this week is, have you stepped out of the culture, friends? Or are you the same? If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll have stepped out of the culture and you will be different. Your vocabulary will change. The things you talk about will change. How you spend your time will change. What your priorities will change. Right? Yes. All kinds of things will change. I can remember being a brand new Christian and just, and God began to work in my heart and suddenly I was like, you know, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? And God began to change me from the inside out. There were some well-meaning Christians who wanted to hammer me out on some of my stuff, but that was okay too. And we all learned some lessons together but that you will change who you are from the inside out. Now, as these people gathered together there in the temple, in the courts of the temple, it's outdoors where they are, okay? As they gather there, this is not some nice church with nice programs, you know? It wasn't that at all. Remember? Remember how Luke describes it at the end of chapter 2? Let me read this again for you, okay, to remind you. And if you didn't hear this last week, I mean, this was quite the church. Listen to it. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, or some of your Bibles will say eating together along with communion. We call communion or the Lord's Supper and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles, all the believers lived in common and wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. Luke goes on in describing what this church was like in its foundational days. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful, just a thought. How are your meals? Are they exuberant and joyful? I hope so. I hope, I hope at your house your meals are joyful and exuberant. You know? I don't like that. Do we have to eat that? <laughs> I 
I just got some of you in trouble, didn't I? All right. <laughs> All right. As they praised God, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those that were saved. I don't know. Sounds like a cool church to be part of, doesn't it? I, mean, I, think, it, I, think, it's, I think it's amazing. I mean, Seaport has a lot of those attributes, and we talked about this last week. What if Seaport looked like that kind of a church? And we do to some degree. But I want to challenge you to do something with me. I want you to get Acts chapter 2 out when you're praying and thinking this week and just read it over and say, God, help Seaport, help my church to be more like this one. Amen? Amen. Can you do that with me? Great, two of us. Hallelujah. Can you do that with me? Thank you. You say, I don't know what to pray about. I just told you. Okay, there you go. But now, let's roll into Acts 3. Now, Luke isn't writing everything, remember. He can't record everything that happened. It's not possible. Again, the book of Acts covers a 30-year time span. Luke, again, what he's doing is he's choosing various experiences and happenings to drive his theme of how the power of the Holy Spirit took a group of ordinary men, transformed them, and took the gospel around the world and transformed the then known world. That is what he's trying to do so he doesn't cover everything. Okay? That's where, that's where he's going. So as Acts chapter 3 opens up, Peter and John, Went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Now picture this, picture this. Each day, each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. And I'm going to tell you why it was called that in a minute. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. Then he saw Peter and John about to enter and he asked them for some money. Okay, held up his cardboard sign. Not really. Yeah, point blank, ask them for money. I don't know if you've ever had people, ever been stuck in traffic and has had, you know, panhandler come up to you and bang on the window? I have. I've had it done in foreign countries. It's kind of interesting. You know, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. Well, the layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. What else would he expect? These are just two dudes coming in. He don't know them. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. I don't think it meant he didn't have any cash on him. I think it meant that he just didn't have a whole lot of money. Okay? But I'll give you what I have. I got to tell you, if I got to choose between money and the supernatural power of God, I think you know where I'm going to go. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, he was from Nazareth, get up and walk. Now picture this. Picture this. Then Peter took the lame man, took him by the right hand, and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, and he went into the temple with them. Pay careful attention to that last phrase. Went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized he was the same guy, the same lame beggar that they had seen so often at the gate beautiful. They were absolutely astounded. And who wouldn't be? 
And who wouldn't be? Peter and John, making their way, kind of a normal practice for them, going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the, a- in the afternoon. I mean, understand something here. This prayer service took place just before, it's commonly understood, just before the 4 o'clock evening sacrifices that were done daily there at the temple. There was a morning and the evening sacrifices that were, that were done every day in, you know, in the temple there. I mean, it was to, to remind the people of the importance of being consistent and daily in their interaction with God. It was to be a daily experience of atonement and forgiveness. I mean, it was to be, it was every day, it was to be a, a sign of, of being dependent upon God. Guess what? Your daily appointment with God that I so often encourage you to do is designed to do the same things as these sacrifices is to continually bring us back into relationship with God, continue to bring us back into a closer relationship, dependency, forgiveness. You know, it's designed to do all of that. Those, those sacrifices, there was more to them than just what I told you, but that was in essence. And so these guys, now remember, they're still Jews. They're still Jews. They're Christians, but they're still Jews. So going into the temple is a very common practice for, for them. To do this. So, but they're going in, and there's, the Christians are meeting at about three o'clock at Solomon's Colonnade for a time of prayer just before the evening sacrifice. And I think that there were several reasons why they did it like that. I mean, often, I mean, they, the Christians were used to meeting at that time. I mean, it was a good time of the day for people to meet. People were, and there was a lot of people coming into the temple at that time for the evening sacrifice. And so they would have some high visibility too. There may have been another reason why they met at three o'clock. And it's probably, it could be because only seven weeks or so, eight weeks, nine weeks, 10 weeks, however long this was ago. Remember, it was three o'clock in the afternoon that Jesus said, it is finished. Now compare that. Jesus said it is finished, meaning that the sacrificial system is no longer necessary because he is the supreme sacrifice. Now think about that. You've got the Christians in here saying, Jesus is my sacrifice, but you've got all the Jewish folks still coming in to do the sacrifices. Maybe that's why they did it at three. I don't really know for sure, you know. But it's quite a study in contrast, at least in my mind, for these, you've got these people praying together, following Jesus out of a new love and out of a passion. Then you've got another group of very religious people just going through the motions. Sounds like the same thing today, doesn't it? Same thing today. They're taking time to pray. I got to imagine these guys are as apostles. 3,000 people just got saved and baptized. I would think there'd be a lot of pastoral counseling and ministry to be doing. That's my pastor brain going on. But these guys are taking time to pray out of what must have been a very busy schedule. Had to have been. Had to have been very demanding. But they're taking the time to gather with the people to pray. Now, one thing I've noticed is this. I've noticed that leaders in churches that highly value and prioritize prayer tend to be more effective than churches that don't. And I thought, is that true? I began to do just a little bit of research. I didn't have too much time to do any kind of intense research on this, but I began to wonder and look at it a little bit. And I discovered several things. 
about churches that value and prioritize prayer. The first thing of it is there's a deeper sense of spiritual vitality. Uh, there's a greater sense of God's presence and power. You can go into some churches and it's just like it's, it's nice. It's a nice program. The people are nice, but there's no real sense of the power of God. You can go on other churches and you sense it. I cannot tell you the numbers of times people have said this to me. They've said, they've said, I come into this church and I feel something. What is that? I've had, I've had people say to me, what is it that you do to people? I sit in your services and cry the entire time. I said, that's not me. That's the power and the presence of God that's here. And it's here because there's a group of people that since day one have prayed fervently for this place and will continue to do so. The churches that pray together pray often and prioritize it. They are different. There's a stronger sense of fellowship, mutual support, sympathy, and compassion. And churches that are, that are empowered by, by prayer, they, uh, they tend to be more reliant on on the wisdom of God for planning than they are the uh, human engineering and ingenuity. Many times, many, many, many times, God will say to me, I want you to do this this year. He told me to do the encounters again this year. He told me to do the blessing of the bikes again this year. There are many things that Seaport does. We don't do them because I think they're good ideas. We do them because the Lord tells me to do them, and we do them. Because we're trying to be dependent upon him because this is his church. That's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. Amen? And, and prayerful churches are more dependent upon spirit-directed <clears throat> guidance than those who are humanly engineered. You know, I mean, people feel more empowered, equipped to serve, and better able to witness. People are strongly encouraged to develop a robust personal prayer life. This all came up in the research that I was doing. And I thought, you know what? That's very true. And there's probably more. But that's one of the things I've noticed. I've noticed something else, too. Last week, I talked to you about Yoido, Full Gospel Central Church in Seoul, Korea, which I've been to twice. A praying church like there is no other. Uh, You know, an amazing church and, and the impact that they've had on that city and on that country and on the world. But I thought of other praying churches that I'm familiar with. I think I'm thinking of the church in, you know, Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York, who's they will tell you that there's the prayer meeting this has primarily caused that church to grow to 10,000 people. This week, one of my friends, this past week, one of my friends went to James River Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri, a church of about 15,000. He said he went to the prayer meeting. I, I wish I should have posted a picture of the prayer meeting. You go to most prayer meetings and you got half a dozen people sitting in a room staring at each other. There were thousands at this thing. Thousands. On a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And he said, he said it was one of the most powerful meetings he'd ever been. This is a pastor he'd ever been in his life. And he said it was just healings and miracles. In a prayer meeting. In a prayer meeting. Christopher Alam, who was here a couple of years ago. You know, a Muslim who became a Christian who now... That was many years ago, who now travels all over the world, many times in countries that he can't even tell you where he's at, and preaches the gospel. He was here a couple of years ago, Christopher Lam, a friend of mine. He, uh, 
He wrote this 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 week on his Facebook page. And I thought, man, that is so, it's true. Here's a man who travels internationally all the time. He said, praying churches, i.e. churches that place a major emphasis on prayer. See, many more miracles and healings than those who do not have that emphasis. I have seen this time and again. Somebody's playing some nice music. <laughs> Things are about to get crazy. Things are about to get crazy. At least for Peter and John, they were. Maybe they'll get crazy for Seaport. A guy crippled since birth. Not a recent accident. Not some kind of strange malady. Not some disease or sickness. Crippled since birth. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. It's carried and placed at the entrance of the temple. It was called the beautiful gate because most people, historians, believe it was called that. It's kind of a nickname because it was, the doors were 75 feet tall, overlaid with Corinthian brass. They were more beautiful than even the gold and silver doors. They were incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive. They're called the beautiful gate. He gave entrance into the temple. You have to remember the temple was about 40 football fields. That's how big that thing was. The courts, the outer courts, you know, the temple proper, the temple mount is about 40 football fields. It's massive. It's massive. Now, this guy was no fool. He may have been a beggar. He may, have, he may have had a tough time in life, but he was no fool. He had himself positioned right there at that gate. And his philosophy was probably simple. He probably thought this. He probably thought, well, the people that are coming up to worship for the evening sacrifice are the more devoted people. Jews put a high priority on acts of charity, alms. It was a high value. That was a, an important value to the Jews. And so this guy would position himself there by the gate to, so that the devout Jews coming through there would be inclined to bless him and to help him. He was no fool. It was no fool. And they would. And they would. Just like the more devoted Christ, a Christian becomes, the more generous they become, typically. That's just kind of what happens. What happens. Maybe, maybe he had heard about the new followers of Jesus. The word had gotten now that he'd heard about this group of people and that how they were so caring and generous to one another. And he was drawn to that. And he figured, well, maybe they could bless him. But he was sitting there. Do you know why he was sitting there by the gate? Because some believe because he was a disabled man and he was not, quote, unquote, perfect. And that there is some thought that he was not allowed inside the temple courts because he was not perfect in his physical abilities. And so he had to stay outside. Or at the gate, he was not allowed in. There's some that believe that he was discriminated against because of that. But he was there begging because he had no other means of support. He's there. He's got nothing. There's no, there's no programs to support. You know, it was up to him and, and his family to care, to care for him. And so every day except for the Sabbath, he's there begging every single day day. Every day he's doing this. Every day is the same thing. Every day is the same thing. Hey, you got money for me? 
You got money for me? Alms to the poor? Every day. Imagine that. Every day. With no hope of anything ever being different. And then one day, it all changes. It all changes. And in one supernatural moment, this guy goes from just needing money to standing on his feet, walking and leaping and praising God. In one moment. Every years and years and years and years of nothing but the same thing. No hope. And in one moment, it's all different. Don't you give up, friends. In one moment. In one moment, everything can change. You know how, it, how much it changed? Read that little phrase again. And it said that the, now the walking man went with Peter and John into the temple where he wasn't wanted before. His life was, not, was so radically changed. Not only was he healed, but he was changed in relationship to, to his family, to his friends, to his culture, to his society. Everything changed in a moment. And when God steps into your life and you allow him to, it can be dramatic. Amen? It can be dramatic. It was for me that Sunday, all those years ago. I thought about this for just a moment. And this is where I want to go with the remainder of this message. I thought about this. I thought about how was it that this, this miracle moment, how did it happen? The miracle moment. And I thought about the person that God uses. I thought about Peter and John. Look at who God uses powerfully here. Number one, he uses somebody that's consistent in prayer, who's walking in that daily relationship, so that when the opportunity comes, he's, he's ready to go. That's why I want you to have a daily appointment with God, so that when an opportunity comes to stand for the Lord and do something for the Lord, you're ready to go. Amen? You're ready to go. But notice something else here. He teamed up. It wasn't Peter by himself, but it was Peter and John. These, these two guys are almost inseparable. And they're going to join. You know what? You can pray by yourself, and that's good, and that's great, and you should. But there's something incredibly powerful when you team up with somebody and then join others. Amen. That's why we have so many prayer meetings around here. Because it's so much different. I'm so grateful. I think we had five last night in the room and five online, you know, last night for prayer, which I think is a little low. I think we had, I think 11 or 12 on Tuesday night. We had four on Wednesday morning. We had five men on Thursday night. I don't know how many. We had ladies. I mean, I walked walked into the fireplace room this morning, and the place was almost full. I said, there's no room I'd rather walk into than a prayer room is full. Guess what? You can all come. <laughs> Nine o'clock, seven thirty, Saturday night, Thursday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Chris says we're a praying church. I'll never forget. 
Ken Goblin, he was alive, visited this church. I think it was the last time he was here. He looked over to me while I was preaching. He said, when's the prayer meeting, Pastor? At that time, we had one every day. I said, we have one every day. And he just stopped. He didn't even know what to say. And if you can make Ken Gobb stop talking for one, three seconds, it's amazing. It was my friend. I stayed in his home, went all over with him. He was amazed at that. Consistent in prayer, teamed up with others in prayers. Notice something. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. His life was not about money. It was about serving. It's tragic that so many of my peers have made serving the Lord about money. I'm ashamed of them. Peter had no money, but what he had was far more valuable. Maybe you don't have any money, but if you've got the power of God, you've got something worth far more. I mean, look at that. I mean, he was willing to be interrupted to respond to a need. Some of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed were interruptions. You know that, right? They were interruptions. Don't get so busy in your life that when there's a legitimate need right there that you just hustle past it. God may need you to interrupt your schedule to minister to somebody. And I get it. Sometimes my schedule is so crazy. But I continually try to remind myself, wait a minute, the greatest moment of this person's life and of my life might be right here in this interruption. It was an interruption. And yet, look at what happened. For that guy, it was the single greatest moment of his life. But Peter did what he needed to do. Sometimes when you get thrown into a situation, notice he was ready. He was ready to bring healing. There are other times you need to be ready. Maybe God wants to use you, yes, you, to bring healing to somebody. Or maybe God wants to use you to take money out of your pocket and bless somebody and help them. I've, I've been involved in both. And you're just going to have to listen and learn. And, and you know what? God didn't call you to be a Christian, to come to church. That is not the reason. You come to church to hear the word of God, to grow in your faith, and then to go out into the world and to represent Jesus well. Amen? Amen. To be his body in this world. That's what we do this for. He was ready to do what needed to be done. He always, you'll notice, you'll notice something. I think what what really happened here was that Luke has Peter's sermon in chapter 2. Then he throws in the story of the lame man just as a way to connect to Peter's next sermon. I'm not going to go into all of that, but you'll notice something in the sermon. He is quick to recognize that the power didn't come from him. Some of the people could have thought he was a sorcerer or some kind of, you know, some, some person like that, some kind of occult practitioner. And he made it very clear, this is from Jesus. And the person that God uses is the person who is quick to say, this isn't me, this is of the Lord. That's who he's quick to use. But when that crowd begins to gather, Luke says, Peter says, okay, game on, baby. When the, it's interesting, many times you share the gospel, then a miracle comes. But in this case, it was the miracle that gave the opportunity for the gospel to be preached. And God doesn't do these things, these miracles, just to do them. He does them to advance the gospel and to help people come into relationship with him. That's the greatest miracle. Are you with me on that? Yes. 
And God maybe will push you forward to share the gospel when you weren't expecting to do it. Are you ready to do it? Every day you should wake up and pray and say, God, help me to be ready for the moment I have today with someone if it comes. Always ready. I think that's what they teach the boys and rangers. Ready, ready, ready. Andrew was sitting beside a canal in the Netherlands. It was summer, 1952. He was alone with his thoughts. Just trying to piece some things together. Praying, lifting his soul up to the Lord. A war injury from years, many years previous had left him with a shattered ankle, with a pronounced limp. In his heart, though, he always knew that God had called him into missions. But he always responded to God, yes, but, and named every disqualification, named every impediment, named every reason why he couldn't. He didn't have formal education. His ankle, once shattered, had never healed properly. He said, how could I be a missionary if I can't walk down the street one block? How is that even possible? You know? He knew that God was calling him to be a missionary, but it made no sense to him. He sat there on the edge of the canal wrestling with God. And while sitting there, he, he felt prompted. He felt compelled to take a physical step of yes that would symbolize his commitment to complete obedience, even though in his own mind it didn't make any sense. As Andrew stood up, he went to put pressure down on that ankle, expecting pain. But what he felt instead was a violent reaction in his ankle, violent twist. He thought, oh my, now I've done it. Now I've hurt my ankle even worse. Even in this act of obedience, I've hurt my ankle even worse. He pulled his foot back up and put it back down. This time there was no pain, none. Tested it again, took a step, and then another step. And then realized that not only was there, was there no pain in the ankle, there was no limp in the leg. Andrew had been totally and completely healed. Just, he was just as good as he was before the war injury. Because he stepped out and listened to God, God began to use Andrew. His first step into missions would be the famous trip that launched a lifetime of sneaking Bibles through the Iron Curtain. Some of you are too even young to even hardly know what the Iron Curtain was, communism, and the darkness that settled over Eastern Europe. Brother Andrew, how many of you have read God's Smuggler? A few of you have. I read it as a young Christian. I was like, this is wild crazy. I like this. I thought, I thought that would be cool to do. 
His book, Telling His Story, has sold more than 10 million copies in his organization, Open Doors, which this church has supported, has delivered millions of Bibles and aid to underground Christians in 70 different nations. Two lame men. Two lame men. One would jump to his feet, enter the temple. His life radically changed. We don't know what happened to him. A second lame man would stand to his feet and find healing also and impact the world. Impact the world. This is what the Lord said he wanted me to do at this point as this message concludes. Is will you step up? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to be, continue to be seated. But in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to step up. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come and stand across the front. But I'm going to listen to me carefully. I'm going to ask you to step up. If you're here today and you need healing, step up and come forward. Like Brother Andrew did. If you're here today and you're saying, I've been wrestling with God, I've been wrestling with God, I'm afraid to step up, I'm afraid to step into what he has for me, step in. You have no idea how great God could use you. Ministry team, come. Stand across the front. As we sing this song, I'm going to, begin, I'm going to ask you, you can remain seated unless you're going to step up and step out and come forward. And by coming forward, you're saying, I'm stepping into what God has for me. I'm trusting God for healing. I'm trusting God that he's going to help me to step in to what he has for me. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, God has been dealing with me about some particular thing. You can begin to come. God's been dealing with me about a particular thing and I've been holding back, holding back, holding back. And God's saying now is the day to step up and out. Will you do it? Will you do it? You may be sitting there feeling very challenged by stepping up and stepping out, you're going to be taking, God's been dealing with you about some particular matter and you need to take this physical step as a way of saying, yes, Lord. If that's you, you come too. Let's sing this song. You can continue to come. They're going to pray with you. Continue to come. Do not miss this moment. Do not miss this moment. Do not miss this moment.
Sing it with us, sing it with us. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand to your feet and let us sing this? Stand to your feet and let's sing. Come on. Lift up your voices and let's sing it. team will continue team will continue to pray for people if they haven't gotten to you yet they will if you see somebody that's open just go to them but there's one other thing i feel like the lord is telling me to, to do with us today if you're here today and you're stuck in some sort of sin you're stuck in it you don't want to be stuck in it but you're stuck in it 
I would urge you to step up, step out, have one of these people pray for you, one of our team pray for you, they all have a badge. Have them pray for you, with you, that you can be free of that thing and move into the life that God has for you. Amen? There's, nothing, there's no condemnation here. There's none of that. We cheer you on. We cheer you on. Lord, this morning, as this service comes to a close, Lord, I'm asking that God, everybody that's up front here would receive all that you have for them. And I would pray that God, that those whom you're dealing with right now about saying, I've got to break free from that, that God, that they would stand up and step forward and God, that they would be set free from that besetting sin that's holding them in place and keeping them from being what you have for them. We just trust you for that. Just settle down upon us even right now, Lord. May your hand be upon us. Dismiss us now in your great grace, I pray. Thank you, Lord. They're going to continue to minister to people up front here. If, if you're going, please talk out in the narthex. That's why we made it so big. Talk out there. Hallelujah. Have a, have a great Sunday afternoon. Have a great Sunday. See you Wednesday night. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. God bless you.